1: Hello everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Wednesday, July 13th, and today we're going to be breaking down the latest off-season news and rumors. We'll talk some standout Summer League performers, some big men whose fantasy stock seems to be rising, and one intriguing big guy whose stock may suddenly and surprisingly be falling. I'm joined by Noah Rubin and Jonas Nader, fellas for starters, some big news that really won't affect us in fantasy leagues at all, but does affect us as basketball fans. The NBA has added a tra- transition take foul rule. You know the annoying stop the fast break, take fouls. This upcoming season, it's going to be one free throw and the ball when
2: that happens. Do you like it? I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be more dunks, which is exactly what they want. I mean, it's also going to make defenses actually have to run back, hustle back on defense. Will be yeah. That'll be great for kids to watch as they learn how to play basketball, but we're here to see the the athletic players dump the ball, and I think we're gonna get yes. a lot more of that.
3: Yeah, as a soccer guy, I love this too because this was a big issue in soccer in the early days, and ever since then, like if you foul someone on a break, it's a yellow card, but if you're the last defender back, you're it's a red card and ejected. Like obviously, this isn't as serious, but it's the same concept, right? Let's just get rid of this completely. Like let's just nip it in the bud right here. Um, plus, we get more free throw attempts now too, so may have some punt free throw in it. Uh uh, what do you call it? But yeah,
1: yeah. I think if I if I heard correctly, anyone you can pick who who shoots it. So oh, okay. I I believe. Everyone, okay. double check me on that. But that's so it's what one free throw and the ball, right? One free throw and the ball. So I I do say it's not going to have any impact in fantasy, but like oh, okay. the the alpha guys on their team are going to get a handful yeah. of extra free throw attempts as a result of this. I, I, I'm curious to see how much it really actually happens how much does this come into play because i know our nbc sports edge blurb on this noted and this was the initial thought i had is that like guys are gonna have like brain farts right where like they Mm -hmm. are they're just so accustomed to giving this foul it's such a instinctive play like stop the fast break stop the fast break that i think especially early in the season we may see a lot of it where it's like give it and then it's like oh
3: sorry coach totally totally forgot about that rule excited to see chris paul argue this yeah i love it
2: (laughs) and some review for it too yeah what's that Noah? some extra replays and reviews spending five minutes deciding what kind of foul it is it's gonna be great love that oh (laughs) Oh, dear yeah i i I can't it like we know what these look like right
1: there we can't have any nuance of like was that a take foul like we all know what that we all know what it is right hopefully please now you scared me Noah. that's that's (laughs) the one thing you've just you just scared me no more reviews please all right Some news and rumors to to get into here, and let's start in Utah, where according to Adrian Wojnarowski, the Jazz are now, quote, showing a willingness to listen on possible trade scenarios when it comes to Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz seem to be changing their mind every 35 minutes or so when it comes to Mitchell, at least in terms of what they're putting out publicly. Tony Jones of The Athletic, who covers the Jazz, expects the Knicks to step to to the front of the line in terms of trying to make this happen. Uh, Noah, what do you make of this? When it comes to fantasy, do we actually care?
2: wherever donovan mitchell is he's gonna get plenty of shots to shoot the ball where he ends up it'll probably impact those other players around him that's right. probably the only fantasy impact that we'll see um if anybody really puts together a nice package for him i mean Wode reported that the knicks are unwilling to include julius randall which just blows my mind that they wouldn't <laughs> want to get rid of randall and acquire right. donovan mitchell but Yeah, whoever the Knicks send over, I guess, also to Utah would probably be able to fill a lot of offensive need um, since there wouldn't really be a true number one scorer in Utah. Um, So it could be good if they have to include a guy like Emmanuel quickly, he could be a really good fantasy target next season.
3: Yeah. Two thoughts for me, one fantasy and one real life. I actually don't think the Jazz intended to trade Donovan Mitchell until they saw what they got back for Rudy Gobert. And now Danny Ainge is like, he has that Boston mindset, too. Is like, let's just create another war chest in Utah. Let's get uh-huh. Victor Juan Banyama here. Because if you think about it, yes, Donovan Mitchell is like a mid-tier all-star. But can you win a championship with him as your best player? Like, I have my doubts. It's nothing against him, right? You need a top 10, 15 player to win a championship, in my opinion. But the other angle on this is the fantasy one is I'm kind of glad to see Donovan Mitchell potentially head elsewhere because if he's on the Jazz this year, with Malik Beasley as his you know, secondary option on offense, yeah. that team's going to be a bottom feeder too. So let's get Donovan Mitchell out of there. Let's avoid the shutdown risk in March and April and just not worry right. about it, right? Like I'll take the hidden usage elsewhere and just not worry about him late in the season.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. And I do think in terms of Mitchell, I mean, yeah, maybe it, maybe a new city would be best for him and we'll have to wait to see what this whole thing looks like if it happens in utah uh in
3: terms of who gets a spike in value but- any predictions where's he going it's got to be brooklyn right oh think interesting. think about it. I brooklyn to... wants an all-star and they want picks obviously they're gonna have to get some picks from elsewhere too right but the only all-stars that are probably on the market Among the best would probably be Donovan Mitchell, right? I mean, you can throw out Jalen Brown's name as well, who may be be somewhat attainable. But yeah, I think Donovan Mitchell is probably at the top of the list right now of available players. And you got DeAndre Ayton, maybe second or third. So,
2: Some sort of three-team deal maybe where KD lands in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. uh, Donovan Mitchell ends up in Brooklyn, and Utah just ends up with even more draft picks, just have like 20 over the next five seasons or whatever it takes. But yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. whoever's blurbing that day is going to get a rude, rude awakening from their <laughs> yep. quiet month of July. All right. So that's obviously one we're keeping an eye on. Now let's go to Dallas with a bit of a Mavs depth chart update. And this is interesting. This comes via Tim Cato, who covers the Mavs for the Athletic. And I, I would call this some unexpected news. We certainly haven't been talking about this. So as Tim Cato wrote, Jason Kidd has said that Spencer Dinwiddie and JaVale McGee will be starters, um, joining Luka Doncic and Dorian finney Smith in the lineup. And according to Cato, the team plans to keep Reggie Bullock in the starting five, that means gasp that Christian Wood would come off the bench, Jonas. And I don't know about you, but I'm just glad that Steve isn't here to hear this because I know he's going to be upset.
3: Yeah, but just for Steve, I think I'm going to spin this positively here because okay, I think people Thank are going to see this and they're going to knock him down a couple of rounds on the draft boards, and that's okay with me. Like I'll take the discounted price. If you look at that roster, Javale McGee isn't capable of playing 20 plus minutes anymore regularly, mm-hmm. right? I think he's going to have that 15 to 18 minute role. He's still a foul machine anyway, too. So you bring Christian Wood off the bench for half his minutes, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to have more usage in those minutes. And when he played with Luca, that's going to be a big plus as well, too, because he goes from Kevin Porter Jr. as his playmaker to Luca, right? Last year, Luca made Dwight Powell a 93 percentile pick and roll player. Wood was 67 with Kev, Kevin Porter Jr. So you split the difference there, and Wood is just an automatic pick and roll machine with Luca too. So I'll take the the discount here with the news of the bench, and I still think his minutes will be around 30, honestly, because he's going to play the four and the five. Just looking at their front court depth right now. Okay, Steve, if
1: you're listening, good news. Don't panic, Steve. Calm down. <laughs> No, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, Christian Wood's definitely a much better fantasy asset, just as it is, than JaVale McGee or even Dwight Powell. Uh, he's probably, I mean, even if he is coming off the bench, like Jonas said, JaVale McGee isn't going to be playing 36 minutes, running pick and rolls with Luka Doncic the entire time. We're not going to see an uh, abbreviated version of Lob City in Dallas with JaVale McGee. It's going to be a nice uh, pick and roll combo of Luka and Christian Wood for probably 25 to 30 minutes a game, uh, even if it is off the bench. And probably, even more importantly, he's going to probably finish games as opposed to starting them. So
1: It's funny, Jonas, that you mentioned the 20-minute number with JaVale McGee because we were having that exact same discussion last week about his outlook in Dallas. Not fooling ourselves that JaVale McGee is going to get a lot of minutes even if he's starting, but 20 is kind of that magic number for him as an aside because when last he got, I think – he's only gotten 20 minutes a game for a season one time in the last decade that was with the lakers a few years ago I think he got 22 minutes a game he was around 12 points seven and a half boards with a couple blocks so there's a world where javel gets 20 minutes a game and is fantasy relevant christian wood gets 28 to 30 or whatever it is and is like closing games and both guys thrive maybe that's overly
3: optimistic but i think that that world exists yeah, I mean, look at his numbers last year. In like 15, 60 minutes a game, JaVel McGee was fancy relevant, too. So, yeah, if we get close to 20 for JaVale and roughly 28 to 30 for Wood, like that's the best of both worlds, right? We'll, get, we'll yeah. get McGee with that last round.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we know that how the Mavs want to play, assuming that last year is going to carry over. And Christian Wood, as a guy who can hit threes, obviously fits that mold much more. So, okay, we're, we're, cal- we're, we're calming down. We're calming down a little bit on that one. A little, little nervous, but in, in, in fact, it's going to help his ADP in terms of getting him in fantasy, if anything, if this actually happens. So, yeah, uh, little upside here. Uh, we have also had quite a few DeAndre Aiden to Indiana rumors heating up lately. We mentioned this briefly at the end of Monday's podcast. Uh, Jonas, what are your thoughts on the fit and what it means for the other guys in the front court if this happens? And no, I want to hear from you right after that.
3: Yeah, so if we do get the Aiton to a- Indiana, like they'll, I'll probably have to do an offer sheet, or they'll maybe do a sign and trade here with uh, Miles Turner heading the other way. Like, if Aiton is going to Indiana, we can just assume that Miles Turner is gone. So let's just go ahead and put that out in the equation. If Aiton goes to Indiana, I think I'd move him up a full round. Honestly, the Phoenix Suns, they don't seem to love him, right? They they view him yeah. kind of like that mid tier starting center, which is a huge change from a couple years ago when they were really hyping him up to. Uh, We were really hoping to see Aiden take that next step with Chris Paul. Didn't really happen to the full extent we wanted to see. Um, Maybe some questions of motivation there as well. Sometimes he just kind of checks out mentally. But, yeah, I still think there's a lot of upside and intrigue with Aiden. And if he goes to Indiana and that rebuild, there's a lot to like there with Halliburton and Benedict there too, feeding him. So uh, I like Aiden. I'd bump him up a full round. We will have to caution, though. I think the Pacers are going to be a bottom five or six team. So maybe that comes into question the late March and April shenanigans there too. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm.
2: It'll be a young, fun team. But like you said, Aiden, he on the uh, in that game seven against Dallas, it was kind of said that he said to Monty uh, Williams, I can't pass myself the ball. So obviously he was getting frustrated with his touches. Tyrese Halliburton will give him the ball. But the first thing I thought of when I saw the Andre into Indiana rumors is, is poor Jared and poor Isaiah Jackson. I mean, he's just going to be kind of stuck down there at about 10 minutes a game, probably maybe a little bit more, but like Jonah said, Miles Turner's definitely on the way out and the Suns probably need to make a move for a center. I mean, they, it's not going to be a sign and trade. It'll probably just be an offer sheet that they just won't match, but maybe they can work something out to be able to get a center back. Cause I don't think they want to go into the season with Bismack Biombo and Jock Landale as their two starting or their two center options. Uh, it's not probably going to land them another number one seed in the West. Completely agree. <laughs> uh,
1: in by the way, poor Isaiah Jackson, but not based on what we've been told poor Jalen Smith, because re signed with the Pacers, Rick Carlisle has already come out and said this guy's, uh, here to be the starting power forward. So I think, fingers crossed, we're safe on Jalen Smith as a as a guy with some upside in Indiana. Okay, next up. And by the way, we're going to come back to the Pacers and the guy you mentioned, Benedict Matherin, in a little bit as we talk Summer League. But, but right now, a random but maybe important fantasy note. The Knicks officially announced on Tuesday that they have signed Isaiah Hardenstein. As you noted, Jonas, Knicks president Leon Rose was talking him up quite a bit. Uh, how do you see his playing time looking in New York
3: this year with Mitchell Robinson also back? I mean, we all know Mitchell Robinson and his fouling, right? I mean, you can project Mitchell Robinson with 28, 30 minutes all you, all you want. It's not happening, right? He's just too much of a foul machine. I think we're looking at a timeshare here. A, well, maybe 22-22 is probably the most realistic because Julius Randle will have to play some five in some matchups as well too. So I think Hardenstein is a lock for 20 minutes. But if he can get in that 24, 26-minute range, like sometimes we saw that with the Clippers, and he was just a fancy machine. I think last year in the final 10 games, I want to pull this up real quick. I believe he was in the top 50. Like, he, yes, he had some field goal, or sorry, f- free throw percentage concerns, but man, he was so good. So let me see. Last 10 games for Isaiah Hardingstein, he was number 43 in nine cap, 11 points, seven rebounds. Here's the thing. Almost five assists. Uh, 0.9 mm-hmm. steals, 1.2 blocks in 23 minutes so if we get in that minute range like Hardenstein is just a fantasy I don't know, he's an advanced metric uh, legend uh, I love this guy I think the Knicks have really talked him up as well if you, look at, if you look at what Leon and Rose said yesterday called him a versatile two-way big man plays with a lot of passion and energy he says that's contagious I really like this signing for New York I think, eight, what was it, 16 million for two years that's such a bargain So I love him, he's already one of my
2: favorite sleepers for next year he was solid in the minutes he got in LA last season. It was pretty much splitting minutes with Zubats last season. There was times it'd be like Zubots would see 33 minutes. That means Hardenstein would see 15. So it was like exactly split and it'll probably be something similar. Like you said, with Mitchell Robinson who also deals with plenty of fouls, decent injuries as well. I think he played uh, 72 games last season, which was a career high, but only played 31 uh, the season before He'll miss some games, um, and he'll have to be off the floor for foul trouble as well. I definitely see a scenario in which Hartenstein has some very, very good games, especially if they're needing him to play minutes in the 30s because Mitch Robinson can't stay on the floor.
1: Yeah, the the upside there is just absurd. It, I, don't, I don't think I expect his average minutes to be in the 30s, but this is a per-36-minute monster. I can't remember, mm-hmm. Jonas, if you cited the per-36 numbers, but around 17, 10, and 5 assists. Yeah with a a steal and a half and 2.3 blocks. He's 24 Mm -hmm. years old,
3: so. Yeah, I remember there was seven or eight teams after him. The Clippers really wanted him back. They ended up using their mid-level exception on John Wall, which is just fine, but there were seven or eight teams that pursued him for a reason. Like he is really, really good. Okay, we
1: have some summer league updates and outlooks coming up first. We're gonna take a quick break. And it's just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in Major League Baseball on the PGA Tour and NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesdays and Thursdays called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. All right, let's check in on Summer League, where plenty has been going on, plenty of intrigue to discuss and let's start with some james wiseman sightings he had that summer league debut slash return hadn't played in over a year of 11 points a couple blocks hit a three and then on tuesday followed that up with six points seven boards and three blocks we talked about him a bit on monday's podcast but i want to hear from both of you guys starting with you noah what's your outlook for wiseman do you think he can carve out enough playing time in this front court to be fantasy relevant
2: I think that if he is able to come back and be healthy, then yes. But I think that's kind of a question with what we've seen so far in his career and with the way that the Warriors kind of operate. They are going to rest their stars and their starters, which uh, bodes well for some young guys on their team. But he's probably a guy that's going to see plenty of rest days as they want to keep him healthy because their main goal is not to win regular season games, it's to win a championship. He'll probably miss... I don't know quite a few games during the regular season just for rest days uh, injury management days just to keep him healthy i think when he plays uh he'll be able to definitely carve out a role probably off the bench i know they kind of love having kavon looney as the starter there mm. as just kind of a, a glue guy a defensive guy a rebounding guy um but i think we'll definitely see some games where Wiseman is an offensive just stud just kind of shows uh the potential he has for the future. Um, But I think a few years down the road is when we're more talking about him as being very fantasy relevant, especially in the earlier rounds.
3: Yeah, heading into last season too, they were really talking up Wiseman and Jordan Poole as like their pick and roll game in the second unit too. So they were envisioning running their offense around those two guys for a good 15, 20 minutes of the game too. So I think we're going to see that based on what we saw yesterday. It's actually funny because the biggest knock on Wiseman apart from the injuries is like his basketball IQ. But someone tweeted yesterday – or the day before is like, it looks like Wiseman has gained five years of basketball IQ on the bench. Like he was just so smart. He didn't take any silly fouls, or maybe this couple in the first quarter they had, but he was very mm-hmm. smart on defense, had some really nice blocks, was confidently hitting threes. Like that just adds an element to the Warriors that they haven't had. Right. Kevin Looney can't do that too. So I'm excited about Wiseman, even if we get an average of 20 minutes and maybe a handful of rest days because it's coming off some serious injuries, obviously. I'm in, especially at what should be a relatively affordable ADP here.
1: Well, and I think that's the biggest question for Wiseman is the ADP, not necessarily the potential, right? Because is his name and, you know, the Warriors and how early he was drafted and the, wow, what could this guy do going to bump him up too high for all of us to want to take him? I think that's the big question for me. So I'm very curious to see where he's landing once, you know, we start drafting and have some data there because... That's my hesitation. It's not like would would I take a flyer on this guy. It's where in the draft do I have to do it?
3: Anywhere outside the top 100 is, is game for me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I and I mean, I think that's where like you should be able to get him. I'm just yeah. curious
3: is, is there going to be
1: like some momentum for him um if he has like, you know, some good preseason games, etc. But I know Jonas, you also wanted to talk about a certain Oklahoma City Thunder player and it's not Chet Holmgren, who we have already talked about quite a bit uh you want to talk about josh giddy i think
3: yeah absolutely i mean i promised myself this year that i wasn't going to draft any thunder players as of right now i'm holding to that but man i'm getting tempted man some of these players just look so fun uh the reason obviously you've heard me on the podcast before i'm staying away from the thunder is we already have four or five teams that are just all in on this tank the thunder are one of them Mm -hmm. they still have like 15 or 16 picks first round picks over the next few years Uh, So, yes, they are all in the victor win by Yana sweepstakes. Not worried about the fit with Chet. They can move Chet to the floor if they need to. Um, But, yeah, Josh Giddy has been amazing. And for the first time, he has a pick-and-roll threat now, right? Last year, there were so many potential dimes that Giddy missed because his teammates just couldn't hit shots. Like, that changes Mm -hmm. with Chet there, right? Just really, really strong player. I do have some concerns about the turnovers and the field goal percentage, but if you're punting, like, let's say you have, like, a Giannis team or a Zion team. Man, you get Josh Giddy in like the middle rounds, like you're set. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I like him a lot more in head to head as opposed to Roto because those turnovers and that, those percentages are going to wear down over time. But yeah, yeah I love Giddy. If the, if the OKC Thunder weren't going to embark on one of the most outrageous tanks of our lifetime this year, I would be yeah. all in on him.
2: Yeah, the field goal percentage and turnovers was definitely something I was going to mention. He's shooting 34.6% from the floor and averaging five turnovers through just two summer league games uh which is not exactly what you want considering how well he played last season but I guess we got to give him the benefit of the doubt because how well he played as a rookie he's probably trying to figure some things out trying to figure out how to play with Chet Holmgren he's playing with guys he's not used to playing I think uh those two along with Shea Gildas Alexander that's going to be a very fun uh three young core along with their other young guys until they start tanking and resting everybody, but it should be very fun early on. So maybe if you draft them, use them for like half the season and then trade them away, might not be a bad idea, but definitely by the end of the season, they're probably going to be having some injuries that keep them out of some games. Right.
1: And giddy with the percentages. They're not pretty on paper. I think, what was it? 42% from the floor and like 71 from the line or something like that, but relatively low volume on the relatively low volume on the free throws. And, 42% Forty-two percent from a guy who's as young as he was, who came in with field goal percentage concerns, is not a disaster. That, that's we're starting from a decent place there, and that's that to me is a guy who you know could potentially get into the mid forties, I think, if that's what he did, yeah. While figuring out the NBA on the fly,
3: so yeah, and there is upside defensively too. Like with his size, there's no reason he like, he can't get close to maybe like a half block a game over a whole season too. So just yeah. something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, and point, and point nine steals, point .4 blocks as a rookie, N- not awful, uh, Yeah, considering he was 11 years old while playing in the NBA <laughs> last year. Let's talk about the number three pick from this year's draft. Jabari Smith had had a couple of games where he put up numbers but struggled shooting. On Monday, though, 19 points, nine rebounds, two steals, a block, one dime, three triples. Great to see, as I said, after some shooting struggles. And, guys, I'll just say I'm I'm close to all in on this guy and I think the fact that he was the number three overall pick and not number one might actually make him come at a little bit of a discount in fantasy drafts and no I'm into it where are you on Jabari Smith
2: I like him a lot I mean like you mentioned he had a he struggled from the floor early in summer league but Matt as you know that doesn't necessarily mean much we saw Trey Young be yes. horrible from the floor in summer league right. and he's turned out okay but Jabari <laughs> Smith does do some the Trey Young doesn't and that's Play a good bit of defense, add a lot of defensive stats. Uh, mm-hmm. He confirmed on Twitter that he's okay with the nickname "the locksmith." Um, okay. He provides a lot of <laughs> defensive impact, and once as the shots start falling, he's a three and D guy. Like he'll hit triples and provide both steals and blocks. Yeah, I think that if he's able to f- kind of figure this shot out by the time the regular season starts, that he could be a fantasy like stud in his first season.
3: Yeah, this is a guy who shot, I think it was like 42% from three in college too. Yeah. So some serious upside for a guy his size. Um, he'll probably be drafted like a run or two sooner than I'd probably want because I feel like he's going to start slow. Obviously being in Houston is not going to help. Like not a great supporting cast there to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, he's kind of a guy that I'd probably want to send like a buy low offer on like a month into the season because I feel like this is the kind of guy that's just going to go on a tear in like the mm-hmm. last few months. So. Uh, definitely right. like him. Haven't been blown away yet, but we can see like the flashes. Like he's going to be a really, really strong player one day.
1: Yeah, and the jumper is is really smooth, really pretty. There's not a mm-hmm. lot there that can go wrong. It's like not a lot of wasted motion. We saw him in that Monday night game, uh, not only get a block with his left hand along the baseline, but also pick somebody's pocket on the perimeter. I mean, I think there's just a, a potential fantasy bonanza here in the near future when it comes to Jabari Smith. So. I am excited. I also want to mention one other guy, and that's Benedict Matherin, who has had some big summer league outings. I think he had 23 in his debut, had another good game recently. It just strikes me, and I want to hear if you guys agree with this. I feel a little bit like we made a mistake with Franz Wagner last year where we overlooked the number eight pick in the draft. He just didn't come to the season with a lot of buzz. We were running to pick him up off waiver wires kind of right when the season started. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we're going to see a similar thing with Matherin who – has a sweet jump shot, jump shot. As I said, has had some eye catching Summer League games. And it's not as crowded in indie right now at his positions as you might think, Jonas.
3: Yeah. And here's the thing, too. Like, he stepped in right away and he just looked like the guy. I don't know if you guys remember Donovan Mitchell's Summer League, but you can just kind of tell from like the opening game, like, okay, this guy has whatever it is. And right. that's kind of the feeling I got with him, too. Like, really commanding, was hitting step back threes, was everywhere defensively. I, I, I had no idea he was that good defensively, honestly, as well, too. And you look at teams around the league, there may be two or three teams that would have been a better situation for him, but he, he walks in right, right as day one. He's probably the starter next to Halliburton. Uh Just a dream scenario for him. And now you're talking about maybe getting Aiden in there as well. Uh, I think he's set up as potentially maybe fourth or fifth rookie. I probably have Jaden Ivey slightly higher just because opportunity there is massive as well. But yeah, I think he's locked in for a massive season and I can't wait to target him.
2: He's a fun score, and he's also averaging... steals and 1.7 triples so far through his uh, summer league games, but he's shooting almost 49%, almost 39% from three. I don't suspect he's going to shoot that well in his rookie season to be able to shoot nearly 40% from three. But I think he's definitely going to be a guy that scores, can get a steal. I don't know how much uh, other categories he helps in as far as fantasy goes. Um, I think that five years down the road, if he hits his absolute peak – he can be like a Bradley Beal, Zach Levine kind of guy where it's he's scoring a lot of points, but he's not helping in a ton of other categories. Uh, more of a guy that you're like, this is a very good basketball player, but he's not as good of a fantasy basketball player. Because when Bradley Beal was averaging 30 a game, he was fringe first round, kind of early second round. And Zach Levine's best season has been, I believe, like 25th best value in, in nine cats. So... I think Matherin can be a a very, very good NBA player, especially if he hits his potential. But I think his fantasy upside is kind of limited.
1: What I heard you say there is Benedict Matherin, definite top 25 fantasy player. (laughs) That's what I I heard. He
2: is Bradley Beal, but better. That's what you heard. heard
1: he's like a combo of Bradley Beal and Zach Levine. Uh, No, fair point, fair point. I haven't really dialed in what categories he's going to help us in. I test wise, he looks really impressive and I like the opportunity because we kind of said this, but I mean, as of now, it's really him, Chris Duarte and Buddy Heald at the shooting guard at small four spots. There's a lot of names there, but really take a look at that depth chart and who do you think is going to be the priority? And I think there's a chance he moves ahead of Duarte right away
3: in theory, given that they took him with number six overall pick. Yeah. yeah. Does he also have a no trade clause like Beale? or
2: <laughs> not yet? Dude, I couldn't yeah. believe that news yeah.
3: when I saw that. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, trans, props to deal Benedict though. Mecca. Loyalty is just so rare, honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, that's that's the end of my list. But I know that there's one other item on the agenda, Jonas, and I believe you had a public service announcement you want to make about Jaron Jackson
3: Jr. Yeah, guys. I know the news is tough. Um, I promised myself I'd be out of the office for the next four to six months. I came back reluctantly. Uh, Doc called me and was like, "Hey, man, we really need you to work here." I was like, "All right, I'll I'll do it. Fine, whatever." But yeah i'm still in on J- jaron jackson jr i was, I'm trying to look at the bright side like let's just take him a few rounds later but let's make sure let's make absolutely sure we take brandon clark right after right we need that insurance um whenever jaron jackson jr uh was on the bench last year brendan clark's permanent numbers just popped um mm-hmm. they removed kyle anderson from the equation so i think Brandon clark if you can get him the round after jjj and just stash him until well we're thinking maybe december here for the four to six month timetable And keep in mind, too, Zach Klayman was actually asked about Jaron's injury at Summer League. He really downplayed it. Like, Obviously, we take that with a grain of salt because I think it was a year and a half ago when he had that knee injury. He was like, yeah, he's going to be out for a minute. And then he ended up missing, what, 14 years. But anyway, (laughs) I'm slightly more optimistic about this injury than the previous one. But like I said, you have to take Brandon Clark if you take JJJ.
2: Have to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Brandon Clark's going to definitely start right off the bat. And getting Jaron Jackson a few rounds later, and then having him by the time the fantasy playoffs start—that's going to be, that's going to be quite the play there.
1: I mean, you yeah. have to get Brandon Clark, period. <laughs> I'd say whether you got Jaron Jackson Jr. or not. Obviously, if you got Jaron Jackson, it, it you know it becomes more of a priority. But I'm just looking up because I f- I feel like Brandon Clark really, really showed some things in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just double checking his playoff numbers.
3: They were quite quite nice, were they not? And 19 minutes last year, he was a 12th rounder. So if we get 25, oh, yeah. 26 minutes, go ahead. 12, 12 games,
1: 12 points per game, seven boards, a couple assists, 0.8 steals, 0.8 blocks. And that was after he tapered off quite a bit at the end. He started mm-hmm. off even better than that. So yeah, lots of intrigue
3: there for Brandon Clark. Some positive regression with the steal and block rates too. Like if you saw his college stats defensively, they were just something we've never seen before too. So hopefully that starts happening for him at the NBA level too. All right. That is going to do it for
1: us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts on Spotify or wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. We would appreciate that. We will be back on Friday with more from Summer League, and the off-season, want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. Jonas, Noah, thanks to both of you guys. Talk to you soon.
4: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference.